everyone, welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, for the week of September 2nd, 2018, and welcome to Labor Day weekend. We have made it. We have made it to Labor Day weekend, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week. I'm excited to get back into the book of Mark this week, and I'm excited to talk about traditions and how that is even happening in the science world, in baseball, and what we should be looking at with it. So I'm excited to get into this text, but before I do, I want to put up my shameless plug for Working Preacher. I use it, since I'm not an ordained minister, to give me some direction between their commentaries, their discussions, and their Sermon Braidway's podcast. I'd highly recommend it. There's a lot of great discussion and a lot of things to really dig into to try to possibly pull out some Really good information from some really good biblical scholars. So if you haven't checked it out, I'd highly recommend it. And as we get into this week, I am just super excited to talk about this. But I want to go back to the question that we had last week as our Twitter question. And our Twitter question last week was talking about challenges we have with our faith. What's the one of the biggest challenges? And I got a response from an anonymous source. And the comment that they made was their big challenge was figuring out how to actually talk about faith in the workplace and being able to discuss that and finding when the time is appropriate and getting into those conversations. And I can agree with that's a very difficult thing that we don't talk about a ton as a church. We talk about going out and sending people out. And I think at times we don't do a good job at equipping people and being able to provide them the tools that they will need or being able to discuss and to think about how do we work together to help with this type of thing. Again, I think it gets back into something that we've talked about a lot recently of this community aspect of working together as a community to be able to address these issues. Because I think there's a lot of viewpoints that we can get from people working different ways that they approach talking about faith in public. People who have more experience or less experience or being able to come together and discuss. And I think it's one of the things that if you're in a position as a leader in your congregation, I think it would be a very interesting discussion point that you could lead in kind of a small group study to discuss. And I think especially as being a younger person in the church, I know that I would be looking forward to some type of discussion like that. So as we dig into this week, I think there's a lot of really fun things we can kind of talk about and look at, but in a way it's not real fun to really be honest with yourself. You know, it's one of those things where you're excited to talk about it, but then you don't want to talk about how it addresses you. And I think that's kind of where we're at this week basing a lot around the gospel that we have in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, 14 through 15, and 21 through 23. And this is kind of this really cool verse discussing the Pharisees and how the Pharisees at this point had this tradition of washing their hands before every single meal which we kind of still have today. Probably your grandparents told you before you eat dinner to wash your hands. And the Pharisees are claiming that this is some type of religious thing, that this has been something that has been passed down from the elders, and they're questioning Jesus on why him and his disciples are not doing this. And Jesus comes back with, you are committing to something that's 
of human construction, of human tradition, and that there isn't really backing for this. There isn't anything in the law. There's nothing that happened in the Old Testament that says this is what we should do, and here's the reasoning on why. It's something that's come up and hasn't been continued. He quotes from Isaiah in verse 6. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. So getting this idea of it's a human idea, this human's construction, this human thing, and that that is almost as important as what is actually being taught in the scriptures, in the teachings. And I think it's really interesting, and we'll get into this more, thinking about that with a church. When I look at my worship and what I have been exposed to, my church congregations, we still do the Kyrie. And for me, I know that that's something that's referencing back to 2,000, 3,000 years ago with early Judean Christians and probably even Jewish at that point, the chosen people before Jesus, having this type of Kyrie-like cry. But if that tradition isn't talked about on why we do it, it's empty. And that's the heart of what I am seeing here in Mark's text, is Jesus is calling out an empty tradition. There isn't a reason on why they do this. It's just that's what we do. And Jesus, in my opinion, is coming out and really saying, be fearful for these empty traditions because they don't bring life. They don't bring us closer to God. And I think that's what is so beautiful with the reading selection this week. The first reading is out of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 9. And what I see out of Deuteronomy that plays so well with what is talked about in Mark is the importance of the laws that have been laid down. So it's not Jesus declaring that there are no more laws. We can disregard the law. He's saying, no, it's the laws are there on purpose. The laws are there so that we can get into a space, get us into a time, into a format, so that we're prepared to seek God. That we're in this area where God can interact with us with cutting the amount of distractions. And that's what I see out of this. And being able to observe the laws and traditions that have been laid down as an effort to get us closer to God. Super cool reading in Deuteronomy. If you're going through the alternative first readings, and even if you're not, I would maybe look at trying to throw in the alternative first reading, which is from Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And it's beautiful. It is an absolute beautiful verses going through God as a lover for us. God seeking us. How he gets... It's almost like God is so entranced with us and just wants to hold us and care for us. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks to me and arise, my love, my fair one, come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on earth, the time for singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. 
the fig tree puts forth figs, and the vines are the blossoms. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Just this, I look at it as almost a lullaby that God has for us, and it's so reaffirming. It's so beautiful. It really is. The psalm this week is Psalm 15, the whole thing. One through five, there's just five verses. And it's David, again, talking about how it's going to be like, striving to be like God and what he doesn't know, but what Jesus is. How he is trying to follow the laws that have been laid down and not despising wicked and looking to the Lord for that guidance, for that work. It's beautiful. Again, I'd highly recommend this week making sure that's in there. But the piece that really brings it all together is James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27 that we find in the second reading this week. And this kind of gets back to the comment that I made last week about my dad talking to me as a child and that talk is cheap. James is going through here and just declaring that you're actions speak louder than words. If you are going and saying that you are a Christian, then you better be living it out and that your actions are being reciprocative of what that you're saying that you are. If you say that you are this, then you better reflect that. And it's so important with getting back what we have here in the first reading and in the gospel text. And so like I've talked about is these empty traditions. There's a couple different examples we can get into and we're going to get there. But first, I'm actually going to look at baseball because I think baseball, it's a very interesting way we can look at this. And if you followed baseball before, there definitely is, and you'll hear even announcers talk about the, quote, unwritten rules, end quote, of baseball. The unwritten rules of baseball where, okay, something happens that a player gets hit by a pitcher that usually there's some type of retaliation by the other team when their pitcher comes out, which leads to lots of chaos at times, and there's lots of discussion. And actually, right now, if you follow baseball in the last five years, there's been a lot of disruption to the unwritten rules of baseball, as we've been getting people who are coming from, especially like the Dominican or the Caribbean areas, that they love when they hit a home run to celebrate because it's something big. It's a big moment in the game. Whereas in the unwritten rules of baseball, it's that you don't show up a pitcher. You don't disrespect the pitcher. You just go about your business. You kind of, if anything, you tip your cap or whatever, and you just go. You run the bases, don't pause for celebration. And so you get these clashing of ideas, and it's one of the things that keeps getting brought up right now in baseball is, why do we have these unwritten rules of baseball? And is it productive? Is it good for baseball to have these unwritten rules of baseball? And it kind of even gets into superstition. Again, with sports, you hear about superstition. And is it good? Is it actually a thing? And I think that's what Jesus is calling out here in Mark, is if we get caught up in these ideas, they don't provide growth. They don't get us closer to God. They act as a barrier between us and God. The science example that I want to use this week is something that we have talked about before. But let's start with corn. And corn as we know it today, sweet corn as we know it today, is not what it was 150 years ago. There's been a lot of crossbreeding. There's been a lot of 
working with it and to the point where we've affected the genetic material. So it's become a genetically modified organism, otherwise known as a GMO. And you've probably heard that term before. It's a hotly debated topic. But one of the things that is coming out is, is this beneficial? And the reason I say that, and I'll attach an article below, talking from NPR, talking about a specific type of corn that was raised out in New England that the Native Americans used, and it's apparently got these awesome taste quality. It's supposed to also be a very nutritious, very hearty corn, but it provides low yield. So it had been modified and worked with to try to produce higher yields and had been kind of abandoned. And so then there's been this heirloom corn movement in small patches to bring this back and present it to people and show them the power of these old corns. And it's amazing when I'm looking back on it and thinking about all of this is we're now finding that maybe the corn that we have become accustomed to, that's a high yield corn, that it's readily available, that when we compare it to these corns of 150 years ago, the nutrition and the actual what the body gets out of the corn is night and day. And that the corn from 150 years ago, yes, it was low yield, but maybe it was more actually nutrient dense, more of the things that our body is needing when we're eating it compared to what we're getting with these high yield corns of today. So the question that I have when I was thinking about this again as a scientist is, is that beneficial? Is that actually good? I don't want to put the blame necessarily on the people who have been working to try to produce these higher yield corns because you are trying to figure out a way to feed more people. But the problem that now we're maybe actually finding is maybe that actually isn't helping. There isn't the nutrition, there isn't the value in the body that we need. And it's this very slippery slope. I talked about it before and I'll attach some different links this time below, but I want to get into a little bit of science research too. There's been this movement and part of the reason why I do this podcast, this elevation of science as a very prestigious career. And I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. But when that happens, as a science community, we have to be open to skepticism. We need to be open to opening up the gates, opening up the doors, so that people can evaluate to the self-check, like what the checks and balances system is set up in a democracy to do, to make sure that nothing gets too much power. And it's been debated on whether or not the science community is being completely genuine with how they are presenting their results. And how that hasn't always been the case. I'll throw some stuff. The ones I found were focusing more on medical journals a lot. Right now, it's being noticed that you're two times more likely to have a scientific article published if it has a positive result compared to a negative result. You have where companies at times are going in to try to provide research on different drugs or different things that could be of benefit. And the intent initially is for good because when you're doing research, you need grants. It's expensive. And it's not like the money's just laying there. You need funding support to be able to push and figure out what's there, what the potential of something is. But at times we have found that different institutions and different companies have persuaded results and have purposely left out negative results, 
to manipulated tests to make it appear that something is happening and not giving that information to the people who are making these decisions. It's scary. And I don't mean it to necessarily be just a negative connotation. And that's one of the things like right now that's really going on in the science community is trying to develop a community that is okay with publishing negative results and opening themselves up more often to the idea that maybe we don't have everything figured out that our hypothesis was wrong and that's okay. Because in that negative result, we still learn something. We still learn that this didn't work. And that's still valuable research. That's still valuable knowledge. I distinctly remember actually at college, I was in chemistry class. I was not a very good chemistry student. And we were tasked that we would have a water sample that had sulfur drug in it. And that can cause different problems for people if it's not intended to be in the body. And so we were working on figuring out different ways of trying to remove it. It was just a simple test. And we had to write up a paper on it and give a small presentation about it. And so there was people doing all these different things. And one of the the common known methods that has been used in the past is using activated carbon to help absorb the sulfur drug. And the group that I was in, we ended up having tons of issues and we're trying to figure out what we're doing. And I just remember hearing in chemistry class about the families, these different families, and that often they have related traits. And so I went to my chemistry lab professor and said, we talked about as a group, we want to try using silica. He's like, I think I know how that might turn out, but you're more than welcome. Go ahead, use silica. And so we did, we used silica, we ran all the tests, and we were highly unsuccessful. In case you don't know what silica is, silica is in those do not eat packets to absorb water. Really what was happening is we were just absorbing the water and so raising the concentration of the sulfur drug in the sample. And so when everybody else had tests in the class that had some type of absorption or reduction of sulfur drug in the water, we had a higher concentration. So our graph looked weird as we were getting up to 105% of what was in there because there was less water now. And I remember thinking it was kind of embarrassing, kind of weird to try to present on something that was so negative that it was completely against our hypothesis and it completely had failed. But it was so important for when I look back on making sure that that was known, that, yep, that didn't work. And making sure that people had known that so that other people wouldn't do that same work. And that's the thing that right now is not happening well or efficiently in the science community. So at times we're having repeated tests. We're having things that maybe it's working one time, but 10 other tests can't duplicate what that one result had, but those other 10 didn't get published. They haven't seen the light of day. So we don't know that. And it's frustrating. It doesn't move forward. It causes us to spin our tires and possibly actually move backward. I look at this actually as a really good comparison with kind of what I see as a younger person in the church. Is there's a lot of traditions and a lot of things that we hold on to so dearly that may or may not actually represent what's going on. And we can claim that identity, but if we're not actively doing it like James is talking about, it's not a good identifier. It's not actually telling us about who we are or what we're doing or what this is about. It's just a title. 
And that's where we have to, as a church, as a community, come together and be okay with change. And if we don't want that to change, then we need to make sure that the explanation and the reasoning why is there. For me, the Kyrie means something because I know why we do it. But if I don't know why we do it, saying some weird words in some weird language would mean absolutely nothing to me in a church service. It's so often that we get consumed and wrapped up in these traditions. And the scary thing, the deprement that we lose is the possibility of actually getting closer to God. Because we're putting these things in front of God in a way. Saying that, well, these are really important and we need to hold on to these. But the meaning is gone. And if the meaning is gone, then why are we doing it? We see in David what God Jesus was trying to do. We see in the Song of Solomon the pursuit that he has for us. As we talked about, the actions speak so much louder than just the words of what who we say we are. We have the Deuteronomy reading laying out how these laws are not meant to restrict us. They're there to help get us in a place so that we can get closer with God. In that pursuit that he has for us, that we can then pursue him. And Jesus is just laying out a warning of making sure we don't get wrapped up in these human traditions that make us separate us from God. If we look at what's going on like with science, science is trying to work on this because they know it's important. Baseball is trying to figure out how to get that balance to work where they have the tradition, but also how do we keep the game modern? We look at the studies that are coming out about corn, original or heirloom plants versus the GMO counterparts and trying to have the debate back and forth and figuring out how do we make this better for us. And that's why the debates happen. That's why the science is there. We as a church have to be okay with doing the same. So the Twitter question of the week that I am going to propose, I know is a hard question, and I don't know if right now I can even answer it, so I'm going to think about it and see if I can respond to it next week. What traditions do you do that are separating you from God? What traditions do you do, and you can be you or your congregation or your church, that separate you from God, that makes it harder for God to pursue you? I'm assuming a lot of these came out of some unintentional thing that we're doing. But to be able to answer this question well, it means that we have to reflect. With where the church is now, we need to reflect. We have to be open. We have to be willing to share and talk about difficult things. And that's okay. It happens all the time in the science community. Talking about difficult things. Talking about hard things. As we talked about last week, faith isn't necessarily easy. And this is one of those difficult things. For me, I am going through major transition in my life and not dealing with traditions. I'm having to figure out what's important to me. What things do I need to leave behind? What things have I outgrown? What things am I stepping into? One other example I know for traditions that I know I'm going to keep, just to kind of give it a counter example, my family dances around the Christmas tree every year at Christmas. 
and we sing Christmas carols. And the reason that we do that is a get together. We it's something as a family that you do, and it, it's fun. It's fun to see everybody. It's fun to hold hands and discuss that. But we always open with a Danish carol that we probably butcher, and we end with the same one, New Hallelujah. But it didn't mean anything until I remember my mother talking to me about what it actually means. Christmas is here again. Christmas is here again. Christmas shall last till Easter. Even though that maybe I'm butchering my Danish as I say it, it gives meaning to what I'm saying. And the understanding, the knowledge is power. Just like what science is trying to provide us, the knowledge of the tradition has given me the power to embrace the tradition. And that's something as a community, as a world, be it religion and not, we need to constantly be working on to make sure that we are actually moving forward, not deceptively moving forward. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. <laughs>